Have you figured out how to balance the coaching conversations you'd like to be having more of with the necessary but often laborious performance appraisals? In this episode, insight on research from Michael Bungay-Stanier on what's really happening out there with performance management. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 361. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. You have certainly heard the term performance management. It's one of those terms that gets thrown around a lot in organizations, certainly in leadership. And yet, I don't know if most of us have done a lot of thinking on performance management and Probably even more importantly today, what does it mean? What's changing around performance management? You've certainly heard about this a bit, uh, but today I'm hoping you can walk away from this conversation with a ton of strategy and thinking about what you can do, not only as an individual leader, but as an organization to be more effective in your practices on performance management. I am thrilled to welcome back to the show someone who is absolutely an expert in this area, Michael Bungay-Stanier. He is the founder of Box of Crayons, a company best known for teaching 10-minute coaching so that busy managers can build stronger teams and get better results. He's the author of The Coaching Habit, a Wall Street Journal bestseller that sold over 350,000 copies. It has been the number one coaching book on Amazon since its release. Michael was the first Canadian coach of the year. He's a Rhodes Scholar and was recently recognized as the number three global guru in coaching. He's also the co-author of the recently released report titled The Truth and Lies of Performance Management, detailing the original research that his colleagues and him have conducted. Michael, so glad to welcome you back. Yeah, I mean, you can forget all that other stuff. The real achievement is third time back on your podcast. That is what's awesome. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I I am also conscious of the fact that you were sued by one of your law school professors. So there's that too, right? (laughs) There's that too. Exactly. I've got a mixed bag. It's nice to be back. It's always good to catch you, Dave. Let's define some terms at the beginning here, because performance management, it's a term a lot of us have heard, we've even used it, and yet it's one of these words that's kind of like strategic and leadership. I I don't know if people necessarily know what it means. Um, When you think about performance management, what does that term mean to you? Yeah, well, it's, it's the broad term that covers off how we track how we're doing in our organizational life. So it means different things to different people, but in many organizations, it basically refers to a process that happens once a year, twice a year, a little more often, a little less often, where somebody sits down and goes, all right, Dave, you're such a nice guy, and yet, <laughs> um, and it's like, here's what you're doing well, here's what you're not doing well, here's your growth plans for the next year, oh, by the way, here's your bonus, or here's your non-bonus, or here's your pay rise, or here's your non-pay rise, it's basically a collapse of a conversation about performance and management. And actually, therein lies the tension because performance and management really have two different outcomes, two different goals. Performance is a kind of how are you doing, how are you doing relative to everybody else, how are you getting paid? I mean, it's often a money-driven piece. Performance is, you know, how do you help the people around you get the best out of them? How do they thrive? How do they do more great work? How do they show up fully? How do you rock that world? You know, the in the report, we make this 
distinction with a, a story. It's like, yeah, and David, my co-author, came up with this, and he's Canadian, which is why it has this particular theme. It's like a lumberjack. And the the boss of the lumberjack goes, all right, you're an awesome lumberjack, Jacques. Listen, how many trees could you cut down if you were really going for it? I mean, really going for it. How would you go? He goes, like, ah, I could cut down 100 trees. I was like, fantastic. I'll give you all I can to support you to that ambitious goal. I love it. Oh, by the way, you're going to be measured on your success and failure. And uh, if you don't hit your target, we're going to have to dock a little bit of your pay and uh, – and suddenly Jacques is like, well, when I say 100, I meant 40, 40 for sure. <laughs> so and true. It's, it's, it's funny. and um, But there, there's a tension, which is like, how do you do what the company needs done, which is to kind of go, hey, you're doing okay, you're doing well, you're not doing well enough, and to make the difference there. And how do you encourage people to be their very best? And there's an ongoing tension there, and organizations are wrestling with that. One of the distinctions that really struck me in the report is the distinction between performance appraisal and coaching conversations. Say more about that. Yeah, well, part of the drive for us to do this research comes from us at Box of Crayons championing this idea that coaching is the essential leadership skill. You know, whether your company's big or small, growing or stabilizing, whatever it might be, you want your managers and your leaders to be more coach-like. And... The context is everybody has finally gone, it's, it's, it's a bit like the emperor's clothes, you know, everybody's finally gone, you know, this, <laughs> this annual performance conversation, it's just not working very well. People seem to be less motivated, less happy, less e- excited, and that's just the managers who are on the other side of the table. As for the people actually receiving it, it it's, it's can be a little bit miserable or token or kind of certainly non-motivating. And so people are trying to fix it. And the world is alight with rumor about what are the things people are doing or not doing to, to change it. Should we, should we abandon ratings? Should we make it four times a year or 12 times a year? Is coaching part of the solution to this? And it turns out that there are many things being tried at the moment. There is no magic answer. That's one of the key findings of the report is there's no magic answer, not least because every culture is different and you have to build a system that fits your culture. But one of the things that we have found to be true is that everybody is thinking to themselves, whatever my answer is, whatever my evolution of performance management is in my organization, having my people be more coach-like is one part of that solution. Mm. So, yeah. There was confirmation bias here, I think, perhaps, because, you know, we're, look, we're, that's, that's what we were hoping to find. But it, it's true that if, almost everyone is saying, look, we all know that having managers and leaders show up, not necessarily as coaches, but certainly to be more coach-like is a big part of the answer. Well, and just hearing some of the conversations you've had with people you've interviewed, it, it, that is mm. a theme that's emerged for me, too, is just the necessity. Well, maybe necessity is a strong word, but the, the certainly the trend toward more regular coaching conversations. And I'm, I'm so glad you've, you've dived into this because we have seen these reports and news stories in the media of, you know, things are changing, everyone's abandoning ratings, everyone's doing things differently. And yet, there's not been a lot of data yeah. around this. And that's one of the things I really love about the report. Before we go into some of the things you found, I, I am curious, who, mm-hmm. did, who did you study when you got your team together? Who are the people you were actually reaching out to and getting responses from? Yeah. 
So we uh, reached out to our network. We sent out a questionnaire to a bunch of people. We had 150 organizations respond to us. So these are senior people involved in the thinking through of their performance management piece, reflecting on some of the questions that we asked them. Majority of people in North America, few people from overseas as well, and across all sectors and across all different company sizes as well. So it was a fairly diverse group of people we were asking. So the title of the report is The Truth and Lies of Performance Management. So that implies that there are lies that we've all been (laughs) told or assumed. (laughs) Right. What are some of the lies that seem to have emerged from going through and looking at the data? I mean, truth and lies, I mean, that's, you know, I titled this and I have a bit of a marketing person inside me wanting to get out. So part of me is like, okay, what's the hook that's going to get people interested in this? And probably a better word rather than lies is rumor. (laughs) Because Uh. there's all sorts of rumors going on about what's happening. And, you know, one of the rumors is there's a revolution happening. The report has six different sections. The first section is actually called, Is the Revolution Real? And it turns out that the revolution is happening, just not as radically and not as quickly as people might be thinking. Because, of course, what we see in the business press and the HBRs and the strategy and business and the like, you're hearing about the organizations that are abandoning ratings and you're hearing about the organ and those stories are then presented in a way that is mostly about success and not really about the struggles. It turns out most organizations are trying to do things a little differently. Nobody's gone, no, you know, this once a year conversation, that's really rocking it for us. We'll just keep it exactly the way it is. Mm. But people are sensibly taking their time and trying to figure out, okay, what are the changes that will make the most difference? So, you know, many organizations are going, all right, we need to do this formal conversation about how you're doing at least twice a year, maybe even four times a year. But uh, is everybody abandoning ratings? Well, people are certainly thinking about it. They, there's good research showing up about ratings actually being a demotivating force. But there's not an obvious thing you put in place to replace ratings. So there's a reluctance to actually move away from ratings in some organizations. You said that the the revolution is happening, but it's happening slowly. When you talk to leaders in these organizations, what are the things that companies are starting to do and starting to move on that is different than happened previously? Yeah. So kind of covering some of the ground we, we've touched on. One is this piece around going, we need to talk more often. <laughs> we just mm-hmm. need to do that. And kind of formalizing an expectation that people will talk once, you know, twice a year or, or maybe four times a year. The second is, again, this investment and in thinking, we need to get our coaching up and running and really looking at the reason why coaching just hasn't really stuck very well in many organizations. And this is something we really get into in, in one of the sections of the report. And I'm passionate about this, Dave, as you know, because I'm a, you know, a champion for bringing coaching in a way that works into organizations. Uh, and I'm going to give you my spiel about why coaching doesn't stick. Mm. Okay. And, and it's actually kind of written out in more detail in the report, but it kind of goes like this. You've got to imagine a normal manager, normal leader. And they start off by going, okay, okay, HR people, I get that you want me to be a coach. But honestly, I don't have time for this coaching stuff. I am 
really busy. And I've seen what coaching looks like. It's a 30-minute, 45-minute, one-hour conversation. There's just no way on earth I can squeeze that into my busy my busy life. I, I mean, that's not going to happen. And we say to that, they're absolutely right. There is no way that you can take the model of executive coaching, which is a deceptive model, and just apply that to your managers and your leaders. And that's why we have this standard. If you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you just don't have time to coach. Say more about yeah. the deceptive part. What's deceptive? Uh, well, coaching comes with a lot of baggage, just a lot of baggage. I mean, people have been traumatized by a sports coach who's yelled at them. Uh, they've been traumatized by a life coach, particularly if they live in California like you do, Dave, where you know, everybody has to hug you and light incense and overly appreciate everything. They may have been coached out of the business, you know, fired in other words. So coaching comes with baggage, and part of the baggage that comes with is the model that people go to when they think about business coaching is they think executive coaching. Mm -hmm. And my belief is whereas there are similarities in some of the skills required, the actually managers coaching and hiring an, an external executive coach are actually really radically different things. Different time, different power, different outcome, different needs are driving that. But people carry that kind of, wow, I should be doing the 45-minute executive coaching session. And for us, we're like, no, no, can't do that. You've got to be able to coach in 10 minutes or less. But actually, these managers will come back. But Okay, that sounds interesting, but I still don't have time to coach. I mean, even if there are gaps in my schedule and there aren't many, I don't really have – I mean, there's always something more urgent than me sitting down and coaching somebody, even if it was only 10 minutes. I can't add coaching to what I already do. And to that we go, well, you know what, you're right again. But this isn't about adding coaching to what you already do. It's about changing what you currently do to be more coach-like. So now they're like, okay, okay, so maybe this coaching thing can be a time-efficient way of working. And, and I think it is. But then they come and they go, okay, but Dave, <laughs> Dave, here's the thing, I really don't want to be a coach. I mean, as I say, traumatized. I've been traumatized, Dave, by coaching. <laughs> right. I, look, I'm just normal. Like, I look at HR and they're a bit weird and they're a bit kind of whatever. I don't, I, I'm just a normal manager. I just want to do my job, have a good team, hit my targets, go home, see my family. Don't turn me into a coach. And to that we go, no, no, absolutely not. You don't want to be a coach. You do want to be, however, you who's being more coach-like. And, you know, to us that may not sound much, but for many people that's a really important distinction. It, it kind of relaxes them away from that whole piece around of you're going to make me be something I don't want to be. But then they come back and they go, okay, well, that sounds better, but here's the honest truth. I don't even know what you mean when you say coaching because it's just one of those words. You know, everybody talks about it. Nobody quite has a good definition of what it means. So for us at Box of Crayons, we have a really behavior-driven definition. Can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving just a little bit more slowly? Mm. And that feels normal to people. Like they're like, oh, if, if that's what being more coach-like is, I could give that a go. But there's still another barrier. And that's like, okay, so I get that coaching can be fast. I get that it's a behavior change around curiosity. I get that you're not trying to turn me into something that I'm not. And here's the real question. What's in it for me? Because I get now why coaching can help drive 
performance, can help drive management, it's good for the organization. I get why it's good for my people. They're more motivated, they're more engaged, they're more autonomous, more confident, more competent. Who doesn't want that? But, you know, what's in it for me in all of this? And, and we would say in response to that, if you are more coach-like as a leader, you end up being able to work less hard, yet have more impact. And what we find is that is certainly enough to get people interested. You get them going on a conversation about, so what is this coaching stuff, the way that you guys talk about it, and, and what, you know, what's actually involved? And that gets us into this change. Yeah, and you and I have talked previously about how to keep from rescuing people from their problems. And mm, it's exactly it's when you see the change as a leader who has become more coach-like, it, there's a ton mm-hmm. in it for both parties, right? There's a ton in it for the person yeah. that's being coached of developing the skill set to improve and to be more confident and, and effective in their work. But there's also a lot for the leader who all of a sudden isn't having their hands in everything that the the person is trying to achieve. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. One of the other things that kind of hit me in the, in the the middle of the head as I was reading this report was focusing <laughs> less on the performance appraisal itself and more on coaching yeah. conversations is is certainly something yeah. you're seeing and is emerging as a trend. Tell me more about that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds as obvious as soon as you say it. it's like, do you want to have a conversation once every 90 days on how you're doing and kind of like a measurement conversation? Or do you want to have a conversation on an ongoing basis that allows you to grow and allows you to get constant feedback about how you're doing? There aren't that many people who are going, I'm going to take option A here, Dave. Yeah. Most people are hungry for that piece. But there's it's it's a question of breaking down some of those barriers that we've been talking about around around coaching and to make it feel like just an everyday way of leading and working. It's, it's not the only way to lead. I mean, people sometimes come up going, but I don't, does this mean I can never give advice again? Does it mean I can never help anybody again? And it's like, of course not. You know, that definition of coaching is, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? And that's what we're looking for. You mentioned ratings a bit ago. This is something that Every organization has grappled with to some extent. I've heard, as you have many times over the years, people complain about the rating system at their organization and the performance appraisal. What are organizations doing around this? And even those who have not changed the rating system, what are they thinking about as far as how they're framing this to employees? It's it's interesting. I mean, I haven't seen something really clearly emerge around this other than people are willing to wrestle with it and... As you know, Dave, because I know you're you're a listener to it, we've got we've got a podcast called Performance Management Stories, and it's actually me interviewing people around the kind of the juicy gossip about what they're doing, and so fascinating to to hear people kind of spill on how they're thinking about this. The trend that I see are people are trying to find the language that's appropriate to them and their culture to allow people to know how they're doing without having a number associated with it. Because it's kind of like, okay, you're Dave, you're a four out of five, is is kind of a disheartening moment. Even if you're a 4.8 out of five, even that's a bit of a, a disheartening moment because you're now, it's, it's suddenly competitive, it's suddenly, 
you know, you, you, you lose a touch of your humanity around this. Yeah. So uh, what we're finding is people are using different phrases, different language to give people a sense of where they're at. And more important than kind of that general sense is like, and here's what you need to be doing and here's what progress looks like for you. You know, one of my favorite interviews was with Gary, the CEO of WD-40. So people know WD-40, the ubiquitous lubricant spray unsticker of things. And Gary's story, Gary Ridge is just fantastic. He's an Australian like I am. He's been CEO of this company for 20 years, I think. Very influenced by Ken Blanchard's work and really has just grown a company culture that's extraordinary. It's like, I think it's like 98% of people know and can recite the company vision and values. 94% of people would recommend a friend to work there. I mean, the numbers he's producing are amazing from a cultural way. And he's, you know, he's 10x the size of the company under his reign. And he's very much a, we do our performance management with pen and paper. I think there's two or 3,000 people scattered around the world and very much about finding different language to help people understand how they're doing. It's just fascinating how much is changing and yet is not changing as far as good practices that a lot of us, if we sit down and think about it, you know, regular coaching conversations, regular feedback, the kinds of things we've talked about a lot on the show. Right. For whatever reason, when we get in this performance management process, especially in an organization as it grows in size, we, we sort of forget about those things <laughs> and, it, and it gets formalized yeah. a different way. And yet what we're finding is now even, even in the formalized process, we're starting to see a movement toward more of that. And folks like Gary uh, you know, just are really at the forefront of valuing that within the right. organization. And I think the, the important thing to always remember is it has to be culturally appropriate. So what works at Adobe or WD-40 may not work at your organization. At the same time, it's worth un- kind of seeing your own biases to keep it safe, keep it mechanical, keep it scalable, and how that has been a kind of reductive force to go, look, let's just get them to do this thing, slap a number on each other, put it on a, on a bell curve, and then we've got something sorted out. And the desire and the hunger of, I mean, it's that tension in organizational life between the organization as a machine and the human beings that work there. And that's kind of what you what this boils down to, which is how do you give the machine what it needs and how do you make primary the humanity that works for your organization? So I get this yeah. email a lot of people say, "Hey, you know, I'm 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 working on being more coach-like. I've got lots of performance reviews. I've got lots of direct reports. What do I do to track? Like, what are the some of the software, the technology mm-hmm. I should be looking at? When you've looked at this and looked at the organizations you are serving, what are you finding people are doing? Well, there's definitely a move towards technology, particularly in bigger organizations. They're like, this just allows us to track and scale and manage this in a way that, you know, 60,000 pieces of paper was, you know, crushing us. So there's definitely that. What's interesting for me, though, is that we noticed in our research, there's no lead technology uh, provider coming out as going, it definitely needs to be X or it definitely needs to be Y. It feels like there are a number of different platforms that do a decent job of this. And Honestly, for many organizations, your choice of platform is 
influenced heavily by your legacy platforms? You know, what what do you use for other things at the moment? Is there a bolt-on or an add-on to that that is relatively simple to do? Because, you know, once you've got your legacy systems in, you know, it's just another level of trickiness to go, and we're also adding this, a different vendor, a different platform, a different technology. So that's what I'm noticing, which is like definitely a trend towards technology, but nothing really showing up as going, here's the magic silver bullet answer around technology. Yeah. Well, and to your point earlier, it sounds like like a WD-40 they're using pencil and paper and still, you know, doing yeah, it the, sure. the traditional way. And actually, it's it's a very deliberate choice. They're like, I want your performance. Your He's got like a one page thing. He's like, I want this to be dog-eared and coffee stained because it needs to be an ongoing every day. This is your thing for the next 90 days. It's trying to acknowledge the humanity of our organizations. And there is no perfect answer to this. You know, you put something together and somebody goes, it's too amateurish or it's too, it's too technology or it's too often or it's not often enough. At a certain point, you've got to make a call. One of the other interviews, a woman from a, a U.S. health system, I loved her pitch because she's like, it's, a, it's never ending. We will never have our final performance management system. Every cycle or every two cycles, we will tweak it to try and make it better. And she was saying that, you know, four years ago, they removed ratings. They've just added ratings in a, in a limited way back in because they think that's actually going to be helpful for them. Hmm, so I just love this whole idea of you try a bit out, you get feedback, you know, feedback's not always the truth. It's often just people's opinions, but you've got to try and figure out what's working and what's not working and what is the best way to support your current culture and your current organization. Like everything in leadership, we don't really get, ever get to a place where we arrive. It's taking the next step. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Getting feedback exactly. and then uh, figuring out the next iteration. So we've got a couple next steps for you. So if you are a HR person in your organization, or if you're the owner in the C-suite and you're thinking about how to manage this performance management process more effectively, uh, one of the things I think would be really valuable for you is to listen to the Performance Management Stories podcast. Michael's done a brilliant job. I'm really amazed, Michael, of how much you've gotten people in very large, very well-known organizations to share about their process. I, If you're the kind of person who's thinking about that, this would be catnip for you. So we'll get a link to that yeah. in the notes here. Also, I'm going to put a link in this week's leadership guide in the show notes to my highlights for the report with all the details, the numbers that we didn't go into detail here on this conversation. But I think it'd be really fascinating to those of you who are thinking about this. And of course... My number one recommendation for books these days for leaders is The Coaching Habit. And one of the themes I hope you're hearing from this conversation is regardless of what the performance management system looks like, regardless of what the ratings are or are not, is the clear trend in many organizations is having more regular deliberate coaching conversations and becoming more coach-like. And Michael, thank you for all the leadership you've really brought on that through the coaching habit. It's been uh, it's been so much fun to implement uh, that in my work too. My pleasure. Thank you. You've, you've, I mean, I'm very grateful for the, the way you've championed the book and the work. So thank you for that. So the coaching habit came out two years ago. You have been on a whirlwind in your work and the growth of your company as a result of it. Leaders are always failing because leaders are always learning. What's one thing you yeah. failed at, Michael, in the last two years since the book came out that you've learned from? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you lie. What are you, what are you talking Speaking about? of lies. 
So I, I tell you one failure. You know, it's a lesson I've I've read about before, but I really got it. We have grown quite a bit at Box of Crayons. We doubled in size the year before. We we grew fifty percent again this year in top line revenue. So we've really kind of been stretching and growing. And one of the things that became apparent to me was people who got me to part of the team, people who got me to a certain destination are not always able to take you to the next destination. And there was a person on the team who's recently departed and it took me too long to own up to the fact that this person wasn't going to get us from where we were now. She was not the right person for the current version of Box of Crayons. And, you know, you, you keep holding that line around going, well, how do we find the best fit for you? How do we find a way to help you thrive? If not this job, some other job. But I definitely erred on the side of, well, maybe a miracle will happen and it will just start fitting as opposed to going, yeah, this isn't, this actually is not going to fit. This isn't going to work. And we need to have that hard conversation and it took me longer than I, I wished it had of to have done that. I appreciate you sharing that, going through that experience. When you run into that in the future, what, if anything, do you think you may do differently as a leader? I would choose to see it and speak to it and set a clear bar over, let's say, the next three months around, this is what I need to see from you to give me confidence that you can help us in this current phase of whatever we are as an organization. And if you don't get this, then it's not going to be a fit for us. And if you do get it, then it is a fit for us. Mm. So we both know what's at stake here. Michael, I got to tell you, I'm I'm not happy to hear you've had struggles. At the same time, it is somewhat refreshing to know that the number three coaching guru in the world struggles with many of the same things that the rest of us do. Um, you know, <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. it's like, you know, it doesn't matter how much you've learned about this. At the end of the day, we've, we've all got to lean into discomfort and sometimes ask those really tough questions. And yeah. so I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's really helpful to us. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. A few resources that came out of this conversation. One of them, of course, is the Coaching Habit book, which if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know I'm a huge fan of. Uh, Check that out if you haven't already. Another resource is the report we've been speaking of, The Truth and Lies of Performance Management, available on Michael's site. I'm going to put a link to the full report in the show notes and this week's leadership guide. However, I'll also be placing a link to my highlights from the report. Michael is gracious to allow me to share my highlights, as I often do from books, since this report's a little different form. Format, a little different format for my highlights this time, but for those of you who are regularly used to seeing those, those will be in the weekly leadership guide this week. And once you see them, there will be a link there to download the full report. And we would love to hear from you on what was useful. So if you found something useful from today's conversation or the highlights or report itself, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash 361 sometime in the next week from this airing and post your comment up there on the show notes. Michael and I will review them and we will pull a couple of them that we found most useful for everyone in the community. And those folks will get a signed copy of the Coaching Habit book from Michael. So 
Check that out. Again, if you found something useful, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash 361 sometime this week. Post what was useful to you, and you may be one of the folks who gets a signed copy of the book. So thanks in advance if you do that. Also, if you know someone who is handling rethinking the performance management process in their organization or for their team right now. This is a very helpful conversation to get them started. Thanks in advance if you decide to pass it along to them. Now, a few related episodes, two conversations that Michael and I have had on the podcast. On episode 237, we talked about the coaching questions that get results. Michael and I discussed some of the key questions from the Coaching Habit book. If you have not heard that episode, that'll be helpful to you in thinking about how you can become more coach-like, as we talked about in today's conversation. Also of value is episode 284, The Way to Stop Rescuing People from Their Problems. That is a common challenge many of us, me too, fall into on a regular basis in leadership is we want to jump in and help because many of us are helpful. It's one of the reasons we love to lead and to influence and to coach, and yet sometimes we go way too far. And Michael and I talked about in episode 284, how can you really change how you are approaching those conversations, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of the person you're coaching? And I was also thinking about Michael's story at the end about a recent failure. And if you are also running into that same situation, as I think almost all of us have at some point in our leadership journeys, I would recommend episode 306, Five Steps to Hold People Accountable. One of the challenges that many of us have when we have someone who is struggling with poor performance or they're not quite Uh, hitting the mark that we need them to hit is we don't really know how to start and how to begin that process. Jonathan Raymond was on episode 306, is a very helpful five-step process I've heard from so many people in our listening community that have reached out saying that that episode was really valuable in handling some tough situations. So check that out if uh, that is the situation you're in and are looking for some frameworks on handling that more effectively. For all of these resources and much more, I hope you'll take a moment to activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. It's going to get you access to all of those downloads, the podcasts, my book notes from every episode, also the 10-day audio course titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. If you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it'll help you to get the most immediate practical actions from the wisdom from this podcast over the last seven years, you can get immediate access to all of those resources just by going over to coachingforleaders.com and setting up your free membership. A big thank you this week to Mehdi Khalili in Australia, Elizabeth Eck here in the States, Mauricio in Italy, Joel and Kato Karchuk in Canada for the kind reviews you left on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to you all. I so enjoy reading the reviews each week and appreciate the time that so many of you have spent over the years of taking a moment to write a review for the show. If you'd like to leave a reading or review as well, go to coachingforleaders.com slash Apple if you're using the Apple platform. And if you're an Overcast user and this episode was helpful, just hit the star button on the app to recommend it to others. Thank you in advance if you do either. I will see you back next week for our next conversation. Have a fabulous week and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care.